Well, good morning, everybody. Last time I was speaking to you from 1 Corinthians 2, and I need to refer back into 1 Corinthians 2 just a little bit in order to set the stage for 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, Paul is talking there about wisdom. He's talking about the kind of wisdom that is good, which is divine wisdom. He's saying, Paul is saying that there is a difference between human wisdom, our natural wisdom, and wisdom that we have when we become a Christian. Our heart is changed when we become a Christian. Our way of thinking is changed, and we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit that speaks to us and gives us guidance and shares with us divine wisdom. We don't depend on our natural wisdom. We don't depend on man's ways of doing things. All of that changes. It changes because we're a different person. We're a different person because we're now indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living and residing within us at that point. Paul is not saying that he has anything against being intellectual. He's not saying that we shouldn't be students. He's not saying that we shouldn't study. He's not saying that we shouldn't learn from what other people have to say. All of that is a part of divine wisdom. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But what he's saying is that what we do what we do glean from studying, what we do learn from other people, what we do learn from listening to other people speak, is that it's all directed and it's all through the filter of the Holy Spirit. When we hear somebody say something, we need to evaluate. Evaluate what they said. Does what they say line up with what we read in Scripture. Does what they say agree with? Is it in agreement? Is it in a line with what the Holy Spirit is telling us? That's discernment. That is divine wisdom. That's godly wisdom. It's very easy to fall back on our human thought process. It's easy to fall back on human logic Human logic has led science astray for many years, not only in believing things that are incorrect, but um, you know, in 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 affecting the uh, the moral advancement of science to the point where it's okay to use an aborted baby in the making of medicine. How is that even possible? How is it possible that that's okay? That's an abomination to God. But that's where natural human logic had taken it. There was no divine wisdom. There was no godly wisdom involved. And so, and I, I, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. But um, divine wisdom, we need that for our life. We need that uh, to direct us. So, Paul's not saying that 
you have to commit intellectual suicide when you become a Christian. He's not saying turn your brain off. He's saying continue thinking, but think with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Think with the filter of the Holy Spirit. Evaluate what you hear. Evaluate what you read. Just because something is written or said by someone who identifies themselves as a Christian doesn't make them right. You need to constantly be evaluating, checking, checking with the Holy Spirit. Is this correct? And even your own thoughts. When you're confronted with a situation, you don't know how to respond, and you're thinking through that with our, you know, with our brain, and uh, we're using some logic, you're using some things you've learned, check yourself with the Holy Spirit. That's why sometimes people uh, will come, they will go to another Christian they respect, they will go to a pastor they respect, and they will just discuss this thing with them is because we want to check how we're doing, we want to check our thought process, we want to be sure that we're thinking and we're operating in the uh, substance of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul is basically saying there. He's talking about the wisdom of God. And Paul had been previously in chapter 2 talking about the divisions that had happened within that Corinthian church. And he's, he's telling them, he's saying the root of this, uh, this division problem is not with the apostles. It's not with the message. The root of that problem is that there's a problem with worldly wisdom being too prevalent in that Corinthian church. There's not enough divine wisdom. There's a couple of phrases there in verse 6 that, that I'd like to just clarify. When Paul talks about those who are mature, um, he refers to them in verse 6. That word mature literally comes from a word that uh, in the Greek means perfect. And so you're saying, well, how can we be perfect? You know, we'd all love to be perfect, wouldn't we? We, we like to present ourselves as being got it all together and pretty perfect. We know that's not even possible. We'll never be perfect. As soon as we're perfected in one area, we just totally blow it in another area. So that's not even perfect. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying flawless. He's saying that they're, they have grown up in the Word. When you first become a Christian, everyone understands you're a baby Christian and you need, you need uh, to be fed with uh, very light spiritual food. And then as you're able to take that in and you grow up just like a child, you grow up and then you're able to handle more heavy, more, uh, more deep, more thoughtful um, aspects of the Word. The message hasn't changed. It's not a different message. Paul didn't have one message for baby Christians and another message for older Christians. It's just that, that you mature, you grow. You're able to handle deeper things. And he's telling these Corinthians, he says, you stayed babies. You didn't grow. You didn't grow, and, and now you're faced with all of these difficulties. You're faced with things that divide you as a group, and you're not able to deal with that because you're not mature. 
He refers to the wisdom of God, which is from the Word, that's from the Holy Spirit. And then he's talking about uh, hidden wisdom. When he refers to the hidden wisdom, he just, he's, he's referring to something that was not seen before, and now it's been revealed. And the Holy Spirit does that. You know, back in the Old Testament, there were all these references throughout the Old Testament, all these references to Jesus. There's references to Him dying on the cross, being our substitute, being our sacrifice on the cross. But it wasn't clear. It was, it was a mystery. It was referred to as a mystery. It was something that they, they didn't understand. They couldn't really comprehend it. It was hidden. And later on, it's been revealed. And when we look back on it now, when we look back on that whole, you know, the whole event uh, surrounding Jesus coming to this earth, everything that he did, the sacrifice that he made on the cross, it's perfectly clear. It's absolutely clear. And then when you read it in the Old Testament, it's absolutely clear. And you'd almost wonder, how could they possibly miss it? Well, they missed it because it was hidden. They missed it because it was something that was revealed in part. And, and now, in this time, it's become perfectly clear. There are things that, that are ahead of us. And we're reading Scripture, and we're saying, wow, I can see this, I can see this in Scripture. And the fact is that, yes, it is. But we're not seeing it clearly because it's still, it's still a mystery. We're seeing in part, just like they did in the Old Testament when it was referred to when Jesus, about Jesus coming in the New Testament. So we can see it coming, but we don't exactly see how everything will play out. It's a mystery. It's revealed. Jesus was telling, or uh, Paul was telling the Corinthians here, he was saying that um, the Holy Spirit will reveal these things to you when you become mature Christians. That's how God works. As we spend more and more time with Him, we get mature, we can handle things, we can, we can think through things, the Holy Spirit has more freedom. You know, a lot of what we, a lot of what we become, a lot of what we are, or don't become, as the case may be, is, is what kind of freedom does the Holy Spirit have within us? Do we give the Holy Spirit free reign in our life? And I would suggest that there probably are times when we do give the Holy Spirit free reign in our life, when He really is directing and He really is in charge. And then there's other times when we're kind of like, you know, I want to drive for a while. And it's not that the Holy Spirit's not there. He's there. It's just that He doesn't have the freedom that He did before because we want to kind of pull back some of that control. That can happen several times throughout our lifetime, can't it? Those are times when we kind of draw back, we withdraw from God. And, and then usually a situation comes along, right? Usually there's some kind of a situation that comes along and it blindsides us. And we realize, oh, I haven't given the Holy Spirit freedom. I'm trying to do this with my natural logic. I'm trying to think through things and come to a conclusion that is my own logic. It's not God's logic. 
And Paul is saying to them, he's saying you're trying to deal with these problems in your church, within your group, and there's arguments going on. There are people who are butting heads with each other. And the reason is, is because the Holy Spirit does not have freedom within your church. So Paul is saying that uh, there are things that are a problem because you have not grown up. You haven't grown up. You know, there's a real prevalence among Americans. I believe it. I don't know if it's uh, worldwide. I'm not going to say that, but I, I can speak to American churches, and that is that um, there's been a strong movement probably in, I don't know, the last, um, I'm just guessing here, 30 years, maybe, maybe probably more, um, where church services have become kind of a kind of an entertainment, you know, uh, people come for the show, and there's all kinds of stuff going on on the stage. It has nothing to do with God, has nothing to do with Scripture, has nothing to do with the message. And uh, you have you have pastors who are entertainers. I'm really fond of saying this. I'm not an entertainer. I'm not going to stand up here and, and entertain you with jokes. That's not who I am. I'm a simple man. I have a simple message. And uh, if you want entertainment, this is probably not the place to come. But I feel really strongly about that. We're here for the message. We're here for me at this time to point you to Jesus. I'm not here for your entertainment. You know, if, if you want a warm, fuzzy, feel-good message... Sometimes maybe I will give you that, but most of the time probably not because I'm going to challenge you. The reason I'm going to challenge you is because when I read Scripture, I feel challenged. I feel challenged to examine myself. Where am I in this? And, and I want to pass that on to you. But this Corinthian church, I can just see it. I can just see that they were having a good time, that they were, uh, you know, and then, and then, then the challenges come. Then the challenges come. People are not agreeing on things. And there's divisions. And it's because they haven't had the Holy Spirit which is directing them. So the wisdom of God refers to the Gospel with all of its implications. It's, uh, it's focused on the cross, but it's also focused on redemption. What did the cross do? It's not, it's, if Jesus had simply died on the cross and that was the end of the story, it would be pointless, right? The point of the story is that it didn't end there. Jesus rose from the dead and he redeemed us from ourselves. He redeemed us from our sins. He redeemed us from man's way of thinking. That's the whole story. That's the whole gospel. Thank God the story didn't end with Jesus in the tomb. You know, other spiritual leaders of, of, of history, Buddha, Muhammad, other spiritual leaders, you can go to their tomb. They're there. They're right there. They're still there. And, and probably you can probably look it up on the internet. You can find out exactly where it is. There's no tomb for Jesus. 
There's no tomb. Now, I've never been to Israel. That would be great to go. But I've never been there. But I've, I've heard tell that they will, they will direct you on tours to, this is where we believe Jesus was buried. They don't even know for sure where it happened. We think it was here. And you can look in there. And what's there? Nothing. Nothing is there. Probably dust. I'm not really sure if they vacuum it out now and then or not. But the only thing that would be there would be dust. And so, so Paul goes and, and he has a different approach than Apollo. Paul, Paul planted that 1 Corinthians church. He was there before the church was there. He, you know, the analogy is seeds. He planted the seeds for that church. He went and he preached a basic, simple gospel. There's nothing entertaining about Paul. Apollos comes along after Paul, and, and Apollos, I think I've mentioned this last time probably. Apologize if I did. But I can just imagine Apollos. Apollos was tall. Probably had great hair, probably a pretty snazzy dresser, and he could speak. And 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 he had some he had some something about him that people liked. So nothing wrong with that. Please don't think I'm being critical. There's nothing wrong with that. God uses that just as well as he uses someone like Paul. But Apollos comes along and Paul says, He's the waterer. He watered. I planted. Apollos watered. Is there anything... How do I say this? There's nothing about what was going on in that Corinthian church that was about Paul or Apollos. It's not about the leaders. It's not about the speakers. Who's it about? It's about Jesus. We need to be pointing to Jesus. Sometimes, you know, there's uh, sometimes there might be uh, great things happening in a church, and by church I don't mean structure; I mean people. Okay, people. Talking about the people here. There's wonderful things happening. People are coming. People are maturing. Things are happening, and. If you would go to that church and you would visit that church, you would say, wow, there's something going on here. What is that? What is it that's going on? Because in some churches, it's because they have a leader who really has something put together. And people get really connected to that leader. And their loyalty starts to be about the leader. And pretty soon it's not about Jesus anymore. It's about the leader. It's about the pastor. And sometimes you'll see that, you know. I, I, uh, I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but um, sometimes I do. And, um, you know, what I see is that it looks to me like the church is about whoever the pastor is. It's not about Jesus anymore. And that's a travesty. 
Because the pastor should be pointing, always pointing, to Jesus. Should always be saying, this is the message, it's not about me. Paul came back there to the Corinthian church, and that's what he was saying. He was, he was saying, I purposely came to you and I purposely brought a simple message. There's nothing entertaining about what I'm doing. Because he wanted to get them pointed back to Jesus. He's saying, you all need to grow up. You all need to mature as Christians. Because you're not able to hear what I can say because you're not mature enough. You can't hear it. You know, Paul might be saying and they might be physically hearing it, but they're not, they're not hearing it. They're not comprehending it. They're not getting the message because they need to grow up. You know, the Holy Spirit grows us up. It's not your pastor. It's not your leader. It's the Holy Spirit who grows us up. We need to submit to what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life. We need to respond. You know, the Holy Spirit will prompt us. He will prompt us. He will say, you know what, Scott, this thing, this thing that's kind of important in your life, it's really not that important. It's really, it's not even really second on the list. It's, it's kind of way down there, you know. You've moved it up on the list. And the Holy Spirit will say, you need to adjust your list. You need to get those things that are most important up, up where they should be. On the list. And that matures us. That grows us up. We, we get our priorities straight. We start to think about things in a way that's God-honoring, in a way that's directed by the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit does that within us. You might say, well, I, I gave my heart to Jesus. Pretty sure I'm saved. But I really want to grow up. So how do I do that? Well, the Bible says we need to ask. Ask and you shall receive. You have not because you ask not. Jesus said that in numerous places. There's, there's places where Jesus commanded. It's an imperative. Ask. You say, well, God knows what I need. Why do I have to ask? It's because He wants you to ask. He just wants you to ask. God... Help me to free the Holy Spirit. Sometimes there's something we're doing, something we're not doing, and it's stopping us from growing. And we need to change that. We need to change in our life. Sometimes it's people that we... Sometimes people we socialize with. Sometimes it's our friends. Sometimes you've got to get different friends. Have you ever experienced that? You know, when you became a Christian, um, especially if you were maybe a little older when you became a Christian, and, and you suddenly realized, I can't be friends with these people anymore. 
they're in the way. And it's hard to leave them behind. But if you're going to progress, if you're going to grow in the Spirit, if you're going to grow in maturity, you've got to change that. Sometimes you need an attitude adjustment. You know, once in a while I get that. It's like, Scott, you're in time out. I don't know. I may have had that last spring, you know, when I hurt myself. I I may have, you know, it might have been, might have been, you need a good spanking, you know. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, But that happens, doesn't it? We get an attitude adjustment. God says, uh, you just need to adjust something. You need to adjust your thought process. Sometimes it's just simply in uh, the way we think about things, isn't it? The way we're looking at things. It's not God-honoring how we look at things. And we need to change that. So those are things that Paul was talking about. Wow, that was the introduction, and it took like 30 minutes. I apologize. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1. I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal? And behaving like mere men? For when I say, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it does grow us up in the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are so concerned about our spiritual development. And Father, we just ask you that if we do need an attitude adjustment, Lord, that you would help us with that, that you would guide us, and that you would grow us into maturity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I am of Apollos, and I am of Paul. So they're identifying with their leaders rather than with Jesus. And that's a problem. That's a big problem. So true wisdom is divine in its origin. And Paul says, the reason I haven't shared more divine wisdom with you is because you were not able to receive it. It's not that he couldn't speak it. And it's not that they were physically deaf and couldn't hear it. It's that they were not mature enough to be able to take it into their heart and their mind, and know what to do with it. If you gave a little baby in a, you know, a high chair, and, and they're, uh, you know, they're eating applesauce and Cheerios, and so if you put a really great piece of steak on the tray of their high chair, what will happen? What do you think would happen? Anything but eating it, right? Anything might happen with that but eating it. It may be on the floor. It might be on their head. It, they might be, who knows? 
but they're not eating it. Why? Because they're not able to eat it. That's what Paul was saying. He was saying, I've presented you, or I could present to you godly wisdom, but you're not able to. So he says, you're, you're just so limited in your ability to take in um, spiritual things. So they receive the Holy Spirit, and I want to be really clear on that. Paul's not saying they're not saved. Paul is not saying that. These people were saved. They're saved. They had the Holy Spirit. But the old man in them still controlled them. The old man was still there. The old man had not been buried. It hadn't been put away. You know, when you're baptized, there's symbolism in that baptism. It's a symbolism of burial. You're going to bury the old, and when you come up out of the water, the old has gone away, and you're a new man or woman, as the case may be. So there's symbolism in there of burial. We put away one, and the other one is what comes up. And if it's not like that, you're just getting wet, right? Might as well have taken a shower and used soap. Would have been more effective. But hopefully that's not what happens. But the reality is that as long as we're alive, some of that old man is still there. Some of it, some of it is still there. And it takes a lot of spiritual effort to put that old way of thinking away and to let the new way take over and run your life. And it's not always easy. Sometimes you have to involve, your, involve yourself in new activities. You know, the reason we have groups here, the reason that we have a Bible study here is to help you along to help us along, because it helps me too, right? To help all of us along on this journey of putting away the old and letting the new take over. It's a part of that. The Bible talks about fellowshipping with other Christians. And you know what? That takes some effort, doesn't it? Because there's a lot of other things you probably would rather do than come out here on a Wednesday night and listen to me talk for an hour. Like, Scott, you're just not all that entertaining. I could be home taking a good nap (laughs) instead of sitting in this chair half asleep. But hopefully, if you do that, it helps you along that journey of maturity. So there's other things that we have to do. You all showed up on a Sunday morning. Is there something else you could be doing this morning? No doubt. No doubt, but you showed up, and the reason you showed up is, first of all, to show respect to God, but second of all, hopefully, because it will help grow you up in spiritual maturity. And I know that's why you're here. You know, it's nothing wrong with being a baby, is there? There's nothing wrong with that. We're all babies at one point in time. It's hard to tell with some of us. You're like, wow, I really can't see that. But it's true. And there was a time when we were, we, were, we were toddlers. We were little. And we couldn't do anything by ourselves. 
And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? It's a travesty when somebody stays like that, isn't it? It's sad when somebody stays like that because you're like, they should grow up. They should be getting more able to take care of themselves. They should be more able to do things. You know, it's natural that that a child who grows up eventually becomes independent of their parents. That's how it should work. So why is it any different from a spiritual point of view? It's not that we ever become independent of Jesus. No, but you become independent of the person who brought the message to you. Your leader, your pastor. You know, you should get to the point where you don't need me anymore. Now, you, you come out of respect for God, for Jesus. This is a worship service. We're worshiping God by coming together. We're encouraging each other, and hopefully I'm giving you an encouraging word. But you don't need me. You don't need me. You can read the Bible for yourselves. And I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to every single one of us here. You don't need me to bring you the Holy Spirit. He's inside of you. But as we're maturing spiritually, it helps to have somebody that you can... What what does pastor actually mean? If you look up the definition of pastor, what is a pastor? Have you ever done that? You know what? Pastor is not a title. Pastor is not a title. Pastor is an adjective. It describes. A pastor is someone who walks with you. A pastor walks with you side by side. Whatever life throws at you, the pastor is there. The point is that whoever is your mentor, whoever is your teacher, that they're there for you through life's ups and downs. And eventually you get to the point where you're not with that person, you are that person. You do that for somebody else. Paul even says that at one point. It's a reference to a passage in Hebrews. He says, uh, he says, you should be teachers by now. You should be teachers by now. But you need someone to teach you because you haven't grown up. It's sort of like, uh, you know, you should be in high school by now, but... <laughs> You're going back to middle school because you, you just don't have it. You know? Or, I don't know, maybe there's got to be another analogy that's better, but, you know, you, uh, you should be a teacher by now, but, man, you've you, you got to go back to school and learn for yourself. That's what, that's what he's saying. But that should be where you're at. You should be, you should be walking with somebody else. You should be teaching somebody else. This, this thing that the, that the Holy Spirit does within us, it's, 
It's not just for us. You know, we might hear, uh, we might listen to the radio, we might hear a pastor on the radio, and, and it's like that pastor is just pouring something into you. And it's inspiring. And you're enjoying it, and it's wonderful. You know what? It's not just for you. It's for you to give to somebody else. You have to, there has to be a flow there. What happens if, if there's a pool of water that's stagnant, you know, like the Great Salt Lake? Water flows in, but it doesn't flow out. And then what happens? Nothing can live in there. It's dead. It's dead water. But if there's water flowing out, then it's fresh. Then things live in there. That's, that's how we are too. You know, the Holy Spirit pours something into us using the medium of people. And then we need to pour it out for somebody else. That way there's a flow. So God doesn't just give you something for yourself. He gives you something to share. He gives you something to give to someone else. So, Paul says here in about Corinth, he says, he says, uh, where there's a spirit of love and unity, there's spiritual. Where there is strife and jealousy, there's carnal. They're carnal. Paul did not equate spiritual maturity with activities. He didn't equate it with activities. He didn't say, those of you who go to church every Sunday and you're there you know, every Tuesday night, you're there every Wednesday night, you're there on Saturdays if there's an event, anytime the church is open, you're there. And that makes you a spiritually mature. He was not saying that. He didn't say that. It didn't have anything to do with activity. What did it have to do with? Galatians 5.22 The Spirit produces fruit of the Spirit. What's fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So being spiritually mature doesn't have anything to do with what we do. It's who we are. It's who we are. So if there's a lot of strife going on and a lack of peace, you can be pretty sure that the Holy Spirit is not not prevalent. It's not in control. We're being carnal people at that point. And it's not that anyone has lost their salvation. It's not that they're not a Christian anymore. It's that they have things upside down. They have themselves in control rather than the Holy Spirit being in control. Because if the Holy Spirit is in control, those the fruit of the Spirit will be evident. Jesus said, you will know them by the love they have one for another. Is love evident? You know, and I'm not talking about a fake love where 
you know, you might greet somebody, say like in a, in a public place, a mall or a store or something, and I really don't like that person, but you act like you love them. I'm not talking about that. That's fake. You know, you've heard of fake news? That's fake love. We don't want fake love there, all right? We want genuine love. Genuine love. And there, be, there might be things about that person that you really genuinely don't like. But you love them because they're a brother in Christ, right? You can still love them, even though you don't necessarily like them. You know, we can have personality differences and we can all meet together. We can have people who are maybe, you know, an executive in a company and then have, have somebody who is, uh, you know, not. And we we'll all come together and love each other. We we'll all come together and fellowship together. That's love. That's love, and the carnal man can't do that. That's something that the Holy Spirit has to do. The Holy Spirit has to produce that kind of love in you. That you can overlook somebody that you would never associate with outside of, uh, you know, of a church setting or something like that. You, you would never be friends with them. You wouldn't hang out with them. Not going to meet him for a cup of coffee. Not going to meet him anywhere. But because of the love that's produced in your heart by the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, you're able to love them and you want to be with them. You know, if you, if you were to come on a Wednesday night, you don't choose who's there, do you? It's just whoever shows up. You're not like, okay, I want you and you and you and you there, and I don't want you there. You don't do that. You don't get to do that. You fellowship with whoever God sends, don't you? You do. And, and you're able to love them because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're able to have patience with them. You're able to be kind. You're able to be gentle. You're able to have self-control. You know, I'm not saying there's not times when we sort of lose that. Because it, 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 you know, that's, that's how it works. Once in a while, things get flip-flopped. Don't they? The carnal man gets up on top instead of the Holy Spirit. That can happen. But if we're listening to the prompts of the Holy Spirit, we're going to say, all right, we've got something out of balance here. We've got to fix this. So the goal that Jesus Christ has for us is to become mature spiritual people. That's our goal. That's our goal. It's a lifelong journey. It's not something that's going to be overnight. You know, we're not going to say, come to a class for six weeks, and by the time you're done, you're going to be a mature Christian. It doesn't work like that. It does not work like that. It's a lifelong goal. And... I don't really think that I don't really think that we leave this world until that's we're at the point where God wants us. When we reach that point, then God is able to take us home.
So, we're going to stop there. You know, um, as Christians, our sin is either on us or it's on Christ. Christ died for our sins. He took our sins. And the fact is that if your sin is on yourself, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. If your sin's on Christ, He can save us. If your sin's on Jesus. If you're depending on another person, another man to save you, you're not in any better shape than if you had your sin on yourself. Because no one else can save you but Jesus. So I'd like to invite you, I'd like to invite you, if you haven't already, I'd like to invite you to become a Christian. I'd like to invite you to put your trust in Jesus. Put your sins on Jesus. The only thing that can remove the stain of your sin is the blood of Christ. That's the only thing that can remove it. By submitting to Him, by letting Him take control of your life, by letting Him take control of your future. Pray with me right now. Just close your eyes and pray. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Lord, I submit my life to You. I submit my heart to You. Right now, Lord, I ask You to forgive me for whatever, whatever I've done that is not pleasing to You. Father, lead me forward into a lifelong journey of becoming a mature Christian, living a life that's pleasing to You. Father, take control of my life and may Your hand be upon me. Father, bless me, I pray. And Lord God, we thank You for the work You're doing in our lives right now. Father, we invite You to have freedom in our life, to use us in Your work on on this earth. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, God bless you and welcome to God's family.